Hello, welcome to Arching Towers for the latest Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm David Freezer, and alongside me is Paddy Davitt and our Pinkin columnist colleague David Hannan. David, how are, how are you feeling about pre-season so far? Yeah, yeah, pretty optimistic to be honest. I mean, um, you know, decent result of the weekend against a decent Luton team, and um, yeah, I, you know, it's a steady process, but I don't see any reason why you can't have a relatively decent season. Fingers crossed. And Paddy, we, uh, as David says, decent result of the weekend. It's only pre-season, but a 5-1 win at Luton. That's, uh, there were plenty of positives to look at there, weren't there? That was a good day. The only, well, I mean, the only thing negative was the weather, which probably after the rain, <laughs> after the heat wave we've had, was quite refreshing. Yeah, on and off the pitch, mate. Bacon rolls, sausage, sausage rolls. No cake, but there was didn't... cake at half time. But oh, we yeah. we were far too professional to leave our press box seat. Yeah, I, I don't do half time food. And they it's... didn't bring it to you. No, no, they oh. did. They did. Oh, did a game at Man City once where they brought a pie to the to the desk in the press box. Oh, I could right. not believe yeah, it, and then he fell over. But uh, yeah, I think less cake is probably a good thing. Anyway, probably yeah. But on a serious <laughs> note, yeah, I mean, as David said, um, definitely marked a sea change for me that. You know, you have to caveat it with looting a little bit of rabbit in the headlights. I thought, you know, three down after 14 minutes, it, as a contest, it was probably done there and then. But credit to Norwich, you know, some of the attacking players, some of the goals, uh, some of the performances from the new lads, yeah, very positive. And um, they needed it because it, okay, it isn't about results. But after what happened at Brentford behind closed doors at Colney, where they looked very lethargic that day, albeit that was a very hot day. Um, and a bit off the pace so it was nice that you know two or three days later they responded as we know more associated with a Daniel Farker team and it'd be good obviously we're recording this on Monday afternoon but you know a couple of games to come you know a couple of continental opposition and um, yeah things feel like they're moving in the right direction Absolutely. Um, we had a very lively Q&A on uh, Pinkin.com uh, Monday afternoon, but um, if you ever got any questions for us on the pod, we're going to do our absolute best to try and get the pod uh, to your phones by five o'clock on a Monday regularly. We got pretty good at that last season here and there, but um, you may well have seen that um, Michael Bailey, long-time host of this pod in general, and uh, alongside myself, um, has, has left us um, stories went out on, on Friday and Saturday um, Michael has uh, gone off for a new challenge um, so we, we wish him well sad after 12 years to, to lose a, you know, a valued colleague but um, uh, from my point of view it brings a new title so I take on the role of Chief Norwich City reporter so that's a very proud moment for myself as a, as a Norfolk boy who used to deliver the papers and, and all that jazz but um, if you want more on that um, head over to pinkin.com uh, we both did a, a column piece to, to explain all that and um, I'm sure Michael will be letting you all know what he's up to next very soon and you haven't waited long to jump onto his desk <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, I thought it was time for a fresh perspective on the office after six years sat in there or nearly six years sat in the same position but I, I sort of mentioned it to our um, service desk guys and I thought it might happen a couple of weeks later and they were like come on then let's do it so <laughs> it's happened quite quickly but yes uh, we will miss Michael of course he was Did he clear uh, his desk he did clear his desk. There's a few Good few luck. little thing, little treats that he's left, um, oh, yeah. which I'll, we'll have to work our way through. But the big thing really is that um, I can sit next to you, Pad, which is you know what I've always dreamed of. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I was um, a big fan of John Rogers' idea of a, a video of Michael regenerating into you. <laughs> that was great. I kind of wish he'd suggested that to us before, but. Um, of course, he didn't know that news, but it was a very good idea. Um, regenerating, I don't, I don't know. It's too, it's too after the event now, isn't it? But 
Yeah, it was, good. it was a very good idea. Um, so yeah, that means obviously we're, we're going to be working very closely. Um, for those of you who don't know, Paddy actually has the title of group football editor, so he does have a, some responsibilities beyond Norwich City as well. So Pad's of course still the main man, but I'm very happy to, to take on that title as well. And by sitting next to each other, obviously it does allow uh, a bit of an easier working environment. But anyway, that's, that's enough about the internal politics of our place. We'll continue to bring you as much Norwich City coverage as we can manage. David, um, as with most Norwich fans, um, you, you've watched most of pre-season from afar. We've um, got Cal Road games coming up this week against Atalanta and Toulouse. From what you've sort of been paying attention to from afar, have you been happy with the way things have been bubbling along in terms of the friendlies? Yeah, I mean, the, the niggly injury things worry me, you know, like even if none of them are really serious, obviously it's a big blow to lose Zimmerman. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't think um, a win at, against Schal- uh, you know, Schalke can be yeah, sniffed absolutely. at. And yeah, like it, it came such a trend last season of, you know, in the weeks after and days after games, you'd you'd see on social media shared over and over again the videos of, of build-ups to goals, and you know we've got the exact same with um, one of one of Drummich's finishes. The like the build-up play it shows they've still got that ethos and the the beautiful football, the yeah, football that we've yeah. got known for. I don't see you know any reason why that can't carry carry on. And you know what I've seen in pre-season, he's clipped to goals and stuff. It is. It's carrying on. So absolutely, yeah. Um, I think we probably will see a bit more counter-attacking stuff come in away from home. But I think we'll. I'd be surprised if Daniel went away from the sort of classic 4-2-3-1 with that style of play that, that obviously did them so well for last year but uh, to segue from what David said there Paddy in terms of injuries um, you spoke to Daniel after Luton and sort of good news on Zimmerman wasn't it? Yeah in the sense that um, first international break I think is about a month more or less after the start of the season season kicks off as we know at Anfield on August the 9th and I think initially I think the club did put out after Christoph had had his surgery for, I think, a meniscus tear off the top of my head on his left knee. That They were looking at four to six weeks, which would have kind of brought us into just after the start of the season. But I think that was a little bit optimistic, speaking to Daniel a little bit earlier in the summer. And he was more or less planning for the not to have Christoph until after that first international break. But, I mean, we've seen some evidence of that over in Germany, that he was part of the group and he seemed to be able to do elements of the training that more more the fitness work so straight away you think well okay well this guy isn't you know still with his foot with his foot up somewhere and uh, on a slow combat trail and Daniel confirmed after the game Saturday yeah that um, all things being equal uh, between now and then probably maybe two or three of the opening games will be a little bit too soon but thereafter he'll be back in the mix and when you contrast that with Ben Godfrey limping off against Armenia in the first pre-season tour game and at that stage not knowing how serious that was and Tim Closer we hadn't seen at that point because he himself has had this knee problem really since the start of the year and Grant Hanley was effectively the only fit centre-back at that point and Daniel openly admitted, reiterated again on Saturday that was his major concern that they were very light in that area whereas now we've seen Ben Godfrey miraculous recovery came back towards the end of that tour in fact Tim Close has played the last two games, Grant Hanley, uh, and now Christoph. Yeah, it's looking far healthier. So that was the good news. But Alex Tete, it appears, may need a minor op. His calf injury, Danny was talking about, there's still blood in, in that muscle um, area and and it might need an op to clear it out. So that's a shame for Alex because we've not seen him at all in pre-season. But if we're being brutally honest, in the grand scheme of things, if you, if you there was players you could feel you could go into the season and do without at this stage... You'd probably put Alex in that category. So none of the frontline boys 
uh, look like there's any issues. Emi Buendia, Timu Puki have missed the last two games. We should probably see them in these next two friendlies. So, yeah, all in all, David's right. You know, there's a few niggling injuries, but that's probably pre-season. But the reality is what they need is when they get to Anfield that they've got pretty much a full squad to choose from. Yeah, um, Buendia just a little ankle knock um, in the open day at Carrow Road on Friday afternoon and Timu Puki just a toe thing, which they're just being careful with, aren't they? I don't think that's a major injury at all. The only other one I don't think you mentioned there was Vrancic. Uh, we haven't seen him yet, have we? And um, Maybe there's a chance we see him this week, was that right? Yeah, no, he's he's fine now, by all accounts. He's, he's back in training. Again, he had a bit of a calf issue. Um but I just felt maybe it was a little bit too... I think he was due to come back in. They played Brentford, didn't they, last Wednesday? I think he came back into training Thursday, Friday, so that would have made it a little bit too early for, for, for Luton. But, yeah, um, from what Daniel was saying after the game, if not Tuesday night against Atalanta, then we'll definitely see him uh, at the weekend. And uh, difficult one now because he has missed a bulk of pre-season, so it might be a little bit more of a staggered start for him. But but certainly Mario Vrancic at the end of last season would, would clearly make an impact in that 11, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. If he'd have had a full pre-season behind him, I think he would have had a, a good shout of starting at Anfield. Um, well, moving forward then, um, Atalanta and Toulouse, I guess we're we're going to be starting to look for those little clues, aren't we? Uh, one, Ralph Farman's one that everyone's, you know, talked about a lot since he came in Tim Krull has played I think about the equivalent of 90 minutes more than him in pre-season so far when he arrived I was expecting Farman to be the strong competition for him but basically that Krull had the gloves where do you see the keeper situation? I, I, I don't think Tim Krull's done anything to deserve n- not to start you know you know, Farman is a you know high calibre goalkeeper and very well well known for it but at the at the same time I think um it's probably a policy that Daniel Farkas had. Is it? It's your shirt or goalkeepers, you know, your gloves until you know you lose them. Mm. And I don't think that you know Tim Tim Krul for me was was a warrior last season. I you know he makes the odd odd slip up, but show me a goalkeeper that doesn't. And the problem with being a keeper is that when you do make a, a slip up, invariably it ends up with a goal. So people remember them a bit mm. more. But I, I, I think for me, even even with someone pushing him, um, I think Tim Krull is still my number one, solely because, um, you know, he he's just been kept decent number of clean sheets in a team that's won a league, and I don't think it gives out the right message to him. It's like you know, thank you very much, you've got us promoted now. <laughs> sit on the bench, you know. Obviously, you know, if you've got someone of quality on the bench that can push him, and then he starts being a bit, you know, starts making slip ups, then. By all means, but I, I think until you know he shows, you know, till he shows otherwise, he, he should be the number one. Football's a ruthless game, though, isn't it? You and Roberts, yeah. Malky Mackay, Bradley Johnson—they're well, we... all major roles, and yeah, they all look like mistakes in hindsight. But yeah. I mean, the thing for me with Krull as well is that, of course, he had that major knee injury, didn't he, which ended his Newcastle career. Um, I, and I also think there's an element of. He played maybe a bit better away from home, or no, his bigger moments were away from home than they were at home, and his bigger mistakes were at home more than they were away. I think that has been a bit of a problem, but I also think there's a little bit of a sort of hipster um, attitude towards Farman in that, oh, he's, he comes from the Bundesliga, oh, that's great. And that is obviously on paper, there is a lot to be said for Ralph Farman. He could be, he could prove to be a very, very good signing, but this is a guy who, let's not forget, was in. Um, the Schalke team that were beaten 10-2 by Manchester City in the Champions League. He lost his place to a younger player. 
I see him more at the moment as being almost one that another one of Daniel Farker's rehabilitation projects, a bit like a Leitner and a, and a tribal Steepman. So I think that's a bit unfair on Cruel as well because he's got a lot of Premier League experience, as Farman does in terms of Bundesliga. Paddy, where, from what we've seen so far, where, where do you stand on it? Yeah, I concur with both what you both have mapped out there. I think David's got it right. He, he needed Tim Krul. This is competition because, let's be brutally honest, Michael McGovern was far too far away in terms of a viable alternative. Um, Aston Oxbridge's, you know, probably going to go out on loan. So, in that context, I think it was an area they needed to, to do something in the summer. But, again, I wouldn't disagree that Tim Krul uh, will be Norwich's number one going to Anfield and um, and he deserves to be because I think on overall yeah we can all pick out the highlights or the lowlights you know the West Brom game Leeds but they were like the first month of the season and as has been since uh, pointed out you know he only came in very very late I think, in fact I think Luton last summer was it his was, first yeah. game yeah. and that was very uh, advanced in the pre-season he hadn't really had a pre-season and maybe that was why there was a little bit of rust mm. in the early part of the season Thereafter, I don't remember too many more ricks. There was there was obviously the, the glaring one was it the whole game where the miscued clearance uh, was uh, put back in in front of the Barclay towards the end of last season. But you know, for every rick of that nature, I remember that save at Wigan, fantastic saves, Schmeichel-esque when he spread himself. Brentford, uh, Leon Clark, yeah, Brentford, um, Reading. He made a good couple of saves. Um, there's, a, there's no doubt he definitely organises the yeah. back four as well yeah, I think well. you notice when he's not there um, you know he, you could probably hear him um, screaming from the Barclay sat in yeah. the river end he's big character <laughs> absolutely yeah that's a very great point particularly with a young defence in front of him and, and if you ever were to speak to I'm sure Max or Jamal or Ben Godfrey particularly about his influence they they would say it's been massive and, and Daniel makes that point as well when there's ever any debate about as there was periodically last season you don't see what this guy does in the change room and what a leader he is. So the whole package, yeah, it's not even a debate for me at this stage. It'll only become a debate if you know we do see either some fitness issues with him um, or you know he's making one or two high-profile errors, and then there's a question to be had. But right now, no, it's open and shut case for me. Yeah, I expect him to be wearing the gloves at Anfield, and uh, I think if you look across the Premier League as well, most clubs have three good options. Well, I mean, you look at Burnley. Burnley aren't exactly a top Premier League club, and they've got. Joe Hart, Tom Heaton and Nick Pope, England goalkeepers. So um, I think Norwich are, are well set in that position and, you know, all being well, I suppose most Norwich fans hope Tim Krull has a good season because then if Ralph Farman stays on the bench, then Norwich are probably doing well, aren't they? But either way, they're, they're well covered. Perhaps um, they want to play the two of them. Yeah, you can give it a go. <laughs> the double keeper option. <laughs> um, might need that at Man City away, I suppose. Let's look at the Luton game a little bit closer then. 5-1. Um, on, although Josip Dermic scored the hat-trick, a very good hat-trick, sort of a, a perfect hat-trick, if you will. Right foot, left foot, and one with his head. Uh, I think it's fair to say Patrick Roberts was sort of the star of the show, wasn't he? Yeah, he was for me, yeah. Um, but two corners directly led to goals. Uh, that lovely pass for Campwell in the build-up to Dermic's second goal, I think. And then capped it with... A very nice goal of his own, you know, twisted and turning, got it on his left, and then just a fearsome finish. You know, it was past the keeper before he could even start moving, really. So, um, for me, just a continuation. Yeah, there was the the the, the, the error you could argue uh, failing to stop a Schalke counter that led to a goal on the German tour. But everything I'm seeing from this guy, um, 
is another very very astute piece of business. I think he lo- I think what he what happened with with him in Spain, he he went there to on loan with Girona last season. Um, he had a few injury problems. I remember speaking to him in Germany about it. And he's a young man, so so maybe the confidence was a little bit fragile, and it, and it felt like he was basically treading water there. So if they can bring him in and Farker can put the proverbial arm around him, um, there's no doubt in the man's talent. And the fact that Man City have given him another year's on his contract, they still rate him highly as well. So if Daniel can do what he's doing with, with many of the other younger players, um, then there's a guy there who could really make his mark in the Premier League. And and again, we'll hopefully get to the end of the season and we're talking about what a great piece of business that was, a la Puki, a la, a la Buendia. Now that's the interesting one for me. Uh, we've seen Roberts pretty much playing on the right, which is, of course, where Emmy Buendia was brilliant with Max Aaron's, had a great relationship with Max and defensively helped Max out a lot. Do you think it's possible we could see them both? You wouldn't, you wouldn't really want to see Buendia shifted to the left, but if you were going to have inverted wingers where Roberts is left-footed so he cuts in onto his better foot and likewise Buendia on the left cutting onto his right, do you think there's any chance we see that, David? I think what makes what I wonder is whether whether he's seeing Buendia going more into a number 10 role. Mm. Um, and I mean, as we kind of saw last season when the three of you know Hernandez, Stephen and Buendia were playing as a three, it was... Uh, Hernandez would tend to keep chalk on his boots, but you know it's very much interchangeable between the other ones, and right. it's quite possible you see the kind of same thing. Certainly, when you're going forward, you know your positions are going to be a lot more fluid, and as long as you have a shape when you go in, but when when you're being attacked, which you know often will be happening next year, then to me it doesn't doesn't really make much difference which position they have, as long as someone's holding that holding that position when we haven't got the ball. Um, but it makes you wonder whether you... Because I, I can't see an eleven without Emmy Buendia next yeah. season. He's, you know, probably the first name on the team sheet. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fits the two of them in. But, you know, even I've, from what I've seen, I'm sure there's been kind of like sp- little sparks of, in, in you know, kind of um, continuity between the two of them anyway. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see anyway. Was it the was it the very first game? Was it the Bielefeld game when he he did do that? Didn't he, he played Buendia on the left and and Roberts on the right? Just just sort of tagged him in, in my head. I think Trevani was in the centre on that occasion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think that's a very very good shout. I can see Emi Buendia uh, in in ahead of Marco Stiepman with Fernandez on the left. Um, but ultimately, it, they will need more than as they had last season. It's Puki up top. It's Buendia there. It's Steepman and it's Hernandez. They will need to be far more flexible, far more interchangeable because, um, as David rightly says, they probably have to be even better in terms of their economy going forward because they won't get anywhere near the same amount of possession or chances. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, there's so much interest around all of them. And if you, if you, if you talk about a front sort of attacking three behind a striker of those three, there's a serious amount of talent there. But I'm I'm really interested to see what happens with Marcus Steepman. You know, he was such a surprise package last season, but he's so unorthodox and so strong. And what we know is that he, he manages to hold the ball up up the pitch for Norwich, doesn't he? And makes he really disrupts defences. He pulls wide, and I don't know. I've, I've got a feeling that Steepman will continue to be a key player this season. Yeah, it's well, it's just a great headache to have, isn't it? Really, yeah, because it is, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you could play four behind that striker, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he really impressed me last year. He just looked a totally different player, doesn't he? Whether it's you know just shows how much being in the position he wanted to be in, but he he's hilarious to watch as a footballer <laughs> yeah. because he, he just he reminds you of a Peter Crouch type or even a Grant Holtfield. He doesn't look in his movement or whatever. He doesn't look like a footballer, but then suddenly he's got the ball at his feet and he dances in between yeah. 
you know, like he's a four foot seven Lionel Messi type, just danced in between a few defences and yeah, you can ping it in from a from long range as well. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel I'd probably feel bad for him if he's not into that, but you know, four and three doesn't go, does it? Mm. So I don't know where you, where you think you'd miss out really, because he's he was a key player. And, you know, he still scored ten ten goals last year, nine or ten. Yeah, certainly think, yeah, nine in the league, I think. Yeah, 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 certainly several important ones. So you know, there's competition there. It's like there's something that's been said. You know, all I all I've been reading at the minute, and certainly in the national front, is. Norwich haven't spent enough money, but when you've got that level of competition and that, that quality of player, it, you know Norwich and Liverpool have spent roughly the same amount, and nobody's suggesting Liverpool aren't showing ambition or at Liverpool are being defeatist by not going out and spending millions and millions on improving a squad that finished second in the league. So why should we spend millions and millions trying to improve a squad that just walked the Championship? Absolutely, I, I agree. I think um, most Norwich fans feel that they already had a Premier League team there, and it was just a case of seeing how they could get on. Um, talk, talking of Liverpool and, and Anfield, uh, they lost three 0 to Napoli, didn't they? So their pre-season um, continues to go pretty badly. Um, all their players on international duty and all that—they um, they're not shaping up particularly well for the Community Shield against Man City. But you can't read too much into pre-season, can you? They've still got an incredible array of talent. Um, at Luton, after the da, 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 second goal, I think it was, there was the chance of European champions, we're coming for you. Um, overall, it was a good fun day. Um, anybody else that, that caught your eye, Pad? I, 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 I thought Todd, Todd Cantwell was, was pretty good as well. Yeah, I think um, I would say over the piece, over the pre-season, he's really at least put himself in the debate. Now, I'm not saying we'll yeah. just come off the back of who's going to play in behind Pukki slash Dermich. I don't think we're talking about Cantwell as a as a viable option in terms of Liverpool, but certainly from where I thought he would be coming into pre season, I, I felt it was probably going to be you know he'll be around it, and then as we get towards the end of the window, they'll be looking to move him out on loan, um, just because he won't get a look in. But there's the signs. I don't know whether physically he's just filled out a little bit over the summer, but there's mm. definitely signs, and we saw it again uh, against Luton. He was very involved in that computer goal for for the second one for Dermich that Aaron's ended up cutting back. That you know maybe maybe that's a little bit premature. Maybe he, he's he's one who can be kept in and around the squad. Um, but as I say, it's very hard to see. I mean, could you see him instead of ahead of Wendy or Roberts, Hernandez, Steeperman? Not really. So yeah, it's a difficult balancing act with Todd because he's now at a stage where he will need to be playing games, and um, you maybe keep him in the building until January and then have another look. But uh, yeah, yeah. Again, it's all about options for Daniel because the reality is, okay, there's less games in the championship, but they will pick up injuries and suspensions, and it just may well be that one or two of these guys we're not talking about in terms of front line right here, right now. You know, down the line, they they could get their chance. I think it's all about a bit uh, about confidence. Sorry, with with Todd, I think he's got the ability. It's just about him really believing it and managing to get on a bit of a roll at this point, which is kind of what he did in the first half of last season, isn't it? Um, and I, I don't know who whether it was himself, whether he chose his number or someone chose to give it give it to him. He did. But he if did. he's gone for that, that's a huge vote of confidence in himself. You know, to take on that. You know, whoever anyone who was going to wear. The number fourteen shirt after West Ham didn't didn't have one last year, did we? Am I right? No, I spoke to Todd about that when we were in Germany, um, and he said that he didn't want to take it last year. He thought that, as I think the words he used, we should let it rest for you know almost in tribute to to Wes. But then he made a beeline for that number this year. He wants he has grown up 
during Wes Houlihan's peak years. He was, uh, you know, academy kid from what, 10, 11 years old. But I think he was actually involved with the club a bit earlier than that as well. But actually, as in on the books from, from 10, 11 years old. And Wes was a hero to him. He actually got to train and play with him for a little while. And he said some really good stuff on it. And he, he understands the importance of that. And like you say, that, that sort of shows his uh, mindset and what, what he thinks maybe he's capable of. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a bold, bold move. You know, yeah. whoever had that shirt next was gonna it was gonna be a big challenge for him, particularly being someone who plays in the same role of him. You know, yeah. it's you know I also think you know about when Huck's left, the next number six after Huckabee, I think, was a centre half. So um, as it should be. Yeah, but you know <laughs> you know what I mean. So maybe fewer comparisons made, but yeah. he's taken a huge it's a huge onus on him to be given the number having the number 14 shirt he's immediately he's going to be compared to yeah. to Wes Hulan and if he you know it takes a hell of a lot to stand up to that so fair play to the guy you know and particularly someone who you know he's not been shy about showing the fact that he's taken some stick not really fairly yeah, he's taken and that, that he's kind of you know he hasn't um I don't want to say he hasn't dealt with it, but he's shown that, you know, he's taken notice of it. Yeah. And, you know, for the lad to have the confidence to take on that number, I think hats off to him. And, you know, if he's got that much confidence in himself, he can, you know, show why he's got it. Hopefully he's learned not to take too much notice of those things. Yeah, As a professional yeah, footballer, you've just got to keep your head down and crack on with your own stuff, haven't you? Don't worry yeah. about what anyone else is saying about you. Um, so that another one that's going to be interesting. Every, I'd say pretty much every player in the squad this year is going to be interesting to see how, how they fare in the Premier League. Nobody is nailed on, you know. Max Ahrens had an incredible season, England under-19, but you can't, you wouldn't bet your house on it that he's going to be brilliant in the Premier League because it's going to be a big step up for them all. So, strangely enough, with all we've been saying, I've been thinking in my head that it would have been helpful if they had a League Cup first-round game at, um, in, in a couple of weeks. Or, or that In this situation, there's so many issues and, and players that probably are going to be looking for a game and maybe need to organise a behind-closed-door one. Um, but, before it all kicks off, Transfer deadline day, um, 5pm on Thursday, August 8th. Um, so just over 24 hours before kickoff at Anfield. 27 hours, to be exact. Um, as things are standing, Pad, um, again, you've spoken to Daniel and he sort of suggested that, that the usual line, um, nothing imminent, but we'll be awake. Yeah, he likes that line, doesn't he? But he does like in your position, uh, do you think they need any more? Do you think there's any chance that they will... Just tinker a little bit more. I I get the sense that they're happy enough, and and when Daniel says I'm very happy with the, the level of competition in the squad, and we've spent the last twenty odd minutes talking about plenty of competition in yeah. a lot of areas of the pitch, from keeper to front four. So, I'm sure they're happy. But by the same token, at the back of my head, I recall what Stuart Webber said when we went and had a chat with him earlier in the summer that. They have targets and and a little bit like how they played out with Grant Hanley. Their initial sort of figures they were getting quoted for Grant weren't really in their wheelhouse. They sat, waited, bided their time and then it came to a level as you get closer to the window and the, the, the club who have the player uh, haven't been able to shift what, for whatever reason that there's a bit more realism sets in. So, so much of Norwich's transfer business this summer has clearly at the heart of it the financial reality of where they are and what they're trying to do. So I I wouldn't say definitively as we sit here, you know, eight, nine days away that there'll be no more business um, because there's so many pieces that have to play play out and slot into place. But yeah, there's just some, something at the back of my head thinking that maybe if there's one or two they've been tracking all summer that they can do. Where they've still got the loan option. Don't forget, they've yeah. still got one more loan. 
Um, I don't believe Jordan Robes have gone anywhere as we speak, just to be mischievous. But uh, I don't really see that. Um, defensive midfield, I've seen you know one or two talking about maybe they're light in that area, particularly if Tete, you know, with his with his injury record, isn't going to be a viable option. Just something a little bit different to a Lightner, or a Tribal, and a Clean, even maybe even Vrancic, um, a bit more sort of without the ball combative type. Louis Thompson with his injury record, you can't really factor him in uh, in terms of somebody who's going to be available to play in that position so maybe that's one little area other than that no I, I don't see it you, you go from front to back and there's there's the front line option and there's also a deputy in every position so yeah watch this space I guess yeah I think the decks have been cleared to a certain extent um, on Saturday Ben Marshall's contract was cancelled by mutual consent um, which uh, is probably a sort of a, a sensible way to end that because that just didn't work out. Um, that follows on from James Husband joining Blackpool for the season, which is through to the end of his contract. Of course, Nelson Oliveira went to AEK Athens. They allowed him to go on a permanent deal just to sort of get rid of that issue to a certain extent. And then you've got Yannick Wilskut, Stephen Naismith, Matt Jarvis, all those big earners who um, were released from their contracts at the end of last season. So I think Webber's done well to get all those sort of um, fringe issues settled um, take a look at one of my column pieces from today which is online to sort of map this out fully but basically you can name a 25 man Premier League squad um, the maximum you can have uh, in that is um, 17 of those need to uh, or can be non-homegrown qualified so essentially you need a minimum of 8 homegrown players in that squad but it's a bit more complicated than that because under 21s don't have to count towards that so Max Aaron's Adam Ida for instance count as under 21 players they don't have to go into that so it's a bit of a complicated mix but essentially where they stand at the moment they've got 16 players who don't qualify as homegrown and 8 who do so they've got room for one more in that squad which to me just screams that one remaining domestic loan and for me it's a defensive midfielder just because of this little concern with Teddy, because Thompson has then had his injury. If I was going to do one thing, I'd be looking at you know your big boys, your Arsenal's, Manchester City, seeing what they've got that could just fill that little hole for Norwich, a young, hungry player with lots of talent that Farker can work with for the season. How do you see it, David? Yeah, a, um, I think a combative um, centre midfielder was the first thing that would jump into my head. You know, you've got plenty of flair in there, and you know the Lightners and Ranchers of the world, mm. but. I think it is, uh, you know, Tom Tribal's is kind of in that mould. But I think, you know, maybe someone who can stick the boot in when when necessary is probably the top of the list. But, you know, I've got nothing to base this on other than hunches. But I, I, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Jordan Rhodes slipped through the back door <laughs> yeah. towards the end. Um, not even as the, you know, going to be first choice. But, you know, I think he's made it keen that he, wanted to, he wants to come. And yeah. Webber's made it clear that he wants him. So, you know generally he gets what he wants Stuart Webber so that one wouldn't surprise me um, but yeah top priority hold a midfielder that was probably the plan all along wasn't it alright I'll wait you out till deadline day fine see you later <laughs> <laughs> give, give me a call on the 8th you can just imagine Stuart saying it can't you but um, of you know we've had the stories that Jordan has still been spotted and it seems that his family have stuck around here because they enjoy the area so much but he has been playing for Wednesday in pre-season the added element of that of course is Steve Bruce leaving for Newcastle so that's one to keep an eye on he could then fill that role because it's a minimum of, of eight homegrown so that, that one hole could be another homegrown player or equally if you bring him in I suppose you could then consider Ida or Shrebeni out on loan you're allowed until September the 2nd I believe it is this year to loan players out although Premier League and Championship clubs can't sign anyone beyond August the 8th they can still sell and loan 
to the lower leagues and Scotland um, and the rest of the leagues in, in Europe who are open until September the 2nd, varying slightly different deadlines. But um, it's nice and straightforward, isn't it, uh, transfer deadlines? So, oh, it, it would be helpful if everyone just had one deadline, really, wouldn't it? And then there's no messing about. But, um, or no deadline. Uh, or no deadline. Old school. Old school. <laughs> then, we'd have, then we'd have 12 months of no circus. Or circus. Or 12 months off circus. Yeah. It would be a circus. <laughs> um, I've always meant, where did that come from? Like, <laughs> the no circus thing. When did it even no start? Oh, I just get wound up with it, if I'm brutally honest. You know, <laughs> literally, it, you could spend 23 hours of your day churning those things out. So, some of them are more believable than others, and some of them are rooted in reality rather mm. than Jack and Ori. So, yeah, my unique take on it. And I tell you what, I, I, I keep a list of all the rumours, um, all the ones we do at least anyway, because we don't do every single one. And then I, being um, sort of sad, but it's an, because, there's a, because there's a lot of names, I then turn them green if they turn into a signing and turn them red if um, they sign for someone else or it doesn't turn out or whatever. And I tell you, the majority of that sheet... Um, there's quite a few green because of the 23 signings we linked. And I think, other than Sam Byram... Every single one had leaked beforehand. We were aware of it. We'd done a transfer rumour mill or something of that degree. So, so that's why it's worth keeping an eye on them, I would say. Um, just one of Primus on the list. <laughs> of course. First name on every year. And apparently <laughs> apparently Ben Marshall is like the Limvoy Primus of Sheffield Wednesday. That's why immediately he's linked with them. Apparently he's, for, for years, as soon as transfer windows open, it's Ben Marshall. Apparently he did once have a medical and it fell through. But that was quite a long time ago because he'd had a, a loan spell there. But... That's what I'm told, anyway. But Hull apparently also after Marshall, so um, we presume that he agreed a bit of a compensation package, and just they agreed to go their separate ways. Which rather than hanging around for three years of a contract, given what's happened with with other players at the club, um, seems pretty sensible on both parties. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention from the weekend: the under 23s did play, although it was officially a Norwich City eleven um, in what was quite a poignant match. Leighton Orient um, promoted to League Two. Very sadly, their manager, Justin Edinburgh, passed away over the summer. Um, I believe it was a heart attack. And the profits from that game are going to the Justin Edinburgh Three Foundation, which is a charity I think it's his family have set up. And they're still sort of working out exactly what they're doing with it. Uh, their Twitter page suggests it's going to be towards either heart or brain uh, research. Um, so good that Norwich played their part in that but it was an under 23s team they took the lead through Dialang Jaisimi who's coming back from um, a serious knee injury he picked up when he was with Yeovil I believe on loan last season uh, also hit the crossbar um, and uh, I had a chat with somebody who was at the game he says that Rocky Bashiri was the standout for Norwich who is one that we're all, all quite intrigued to find out more about Belgium under 21 defender that they signed this summer um, you know, one injury and he, he's probably going to be near the first team that, uh, that's possibly why he hasn't gone out on loan yet apparently he was the standout Savas Morgus also coming back from a serious knee injury he played before he disappears off on loan back to Dordrecht in Holland and um, I think that was about it for that game. But they did lose 2-1 in the end. Um, it is only pre-season friendly, of course. Um, but the Premier League two fixtures have been confirmed today as well. You can head over to our websites to see them. They kick off, sort of unfortunately, it clashes with the first-team game at Liverpool. 
They are at home to Swansea at Colney and a 7pm kickoff in Premier League 2 Division 2. Um, so if you've got an iPad and you reckon you can get some signal and watch the uh, Liverpool game while you're at that one, then maybe that's uh, that's what you want to do with your Friday night. But um, I guess most people will be preoccupied with the first team game. I think that will uh, that will do us for now. Thanks very much for uh, listening. We will be back uh, soon. As I say, we're going to do our best to keep these as regular as possible on Monday and get them out to you by 5pm so you can have a, a listen on your commute home. And any other business, just let the people know about the quiz book, mate. The quiz book, uh, as in the extra time. As it's over. I think it's over, personally. Let us know your feedback. Let us, <laughs> we're always we're after the feedback. We're in agreement. I, uh, I, I quite like the idea of there being quiz questions in extra time, which we'll pick up again um, during the season for, uh, on the app. But I just think we need a better quiz book. Maybe, maybe a Norwich-themed quiz book or English football-themed quiz book, because I thought they were a little bit childish at points. But... Uh, that's a pretty controversial issue, so we'll have to work on that one, Pad. I think we might have to have a meeting. Well, perhaps yeah. you can, you've got Roger's new book. You can write um, yeah. questions from that. Absolutely. Roger Smith brought in his uh, his new book. Remind me of what the title is. Is it Canary's Companion? I think so, yeah. yeah. Canary Companion. And uh, it's very um, it's very helpful for the stats fans out there. He's um, I'm going to write a little bit about that in uh, my column on Saturday. If you're interested in getting an, uh, an up-to-date version of the book, um, you can email him and purchase one from him. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, but, yeah, we'll wrap it there. Um, as uh, is the traditional sign-off and... Uh, in tribute to Michael, I'm going to keep it going because I really like it as a good line. This is your podcast as much as it is ours, so please do get in touch. You know where we all are on social media. Our email address is thepinkin at archant.co.uk. If you've ever got any questions or issues that you want discussed on the podcast, we will do our best to keep up with that. David, thanks very much for joining us. Cheers, Dave. And Pad, we will catch up with you soon. Pleasure, mate. Thanks very much, everybody.